Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we are individuals that live in times that are getting exceedingly worse and worse. And uh, as we look around us and see what uh, people are doing, what they're claiming, what they're declaring, uh, it can cause us to be frightened and afraid. And as I just said, uh, we ought to move our attention off of what is going on around us and focus it on what you've said and who you are. And so as we look at uh, this letter written in perilous times, that uh, we would uh, have a confidence as the Apostle Paul did. It's available for us too. And so may we uh, be individuals that know what is said and we can be uh, settled on sound doctrine and this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy. I feel a little bit better this evening. I've got my Bible back. Um, I bought a Bible and knowing that sooner or later the binding would fall out of it, just the way the Bible was, uh, and uh, got it repaired. So if you ever need a company to repair your Bible... Uh, I've got one that did it for me, not cheaply in the sense of uh, the quality of it, but uh, fairly cheap to get the binding back in and set up and whatever, and I feel like I can preach again. The last couple of Sundays I've used a Bible that I've rarely ever used, and of course it's like folding up on me on the thing, and I'm like, you know, um, whatever. So I feel like I'm a little bit back to normal when it comes to uh, what it is to preach and teach out of something that you're familiar with and like. So, okay, there we go. Uh, we finally got that up. We're going through uh, these uh, different books of the Bible. This is uh, number 16 in the series. Uh, I don't give you that count but uh, on the sheet of paper, but we're at number 16. And so uh, we've got, if you remember, 27 books in our New Testament. We've got at least 10 more to do here. Uh, before we are done in the study. But uh, going through, and we we got the the basic information here first uh, is normal, and so the first one's not going to be a surprise to you because you got the answer anyhow, but uh, these letters that we're looking at are written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, so, as we said, we'll get to Philemon, and then we get to Hebrews, and that's a question mark of whether or not he wrote it or not. This letter, 2 Timothy, is part of three letters that are known as the pastoral epistles. These were written after Paul's first imprisonment. We noted last week that that means uh, these letters are written after Acts 28. Because Acts 28 gives Paul first imprisonment that he has, and he's there, he's preaching for two years there, giving the gospel, and sometime after Acts 28, Paul is released. And Paul goes different places. It seems like he goes back to Ephesus, he goes to Macedonia, eventually ends up in Spain. But there's an event that takes place in the summer of uh, AD 64, and that is when Nero, in the middle of summer, was not happy with uh, the construction pro- or the, the, the possibility of reconstructing uh, the city of Rome and what he wanted it to be. And he, uh, well, had part of the city burned down. In fact, by the time they were done, seven of the ten major sections were damaged or completely destroyed. And uh, they talk about uh, Nero fiddling while Rome burned. Well, he was probably playing what we would call a guitar and singing the destruction of the city of Troy, which he was, uh, you know, kind of happy over this event because it allowed him to reconstruct. But 
people began to rumor that it was Nero that did this, and so he immediately issued an edict that made uh, Christianity an illegal religion. And as such, began to grab leaders that uh, were uh, a part of this Christian uh, church that had, in a very short period of time, come across the Roman Empire and made it quite a stir. And uh, so when he wrote these letters, you have uh, this going on. But as you go through, Paul wrote these letters to individuals who were involved with church work, their personal nature, but had material that helped increase the understanding of Christ the church. Uh, he's writing kind of knowing his time is short. Okay, let's make sure we got some things settled here when it comes to the church. Now, I gave you this note here, uh, now that we're here. Paul more likely came back from uh, Spain, and some people suggest the fact from just church history, uh, possibly that he ended up back in Asia, which is where Ephesus would have been at, where Timothy may very well have been at, uh, and um, there he was captured taken to Rome, hauled before the court, and we know that he's at least been in front of the major court there in Rome, uh, which would have been before Caesar, at least once, because he talks about his first hearing, that no one was there. He's by himself uh, in his defense, no one there to help him be in the crowd and that type of thing to, to help him uh, as things go on. And so you go, when was this letter written? It's probably written in AD 66, some say 67, but we know it's sometime before winter. And you go, why is that? Because he's asking for warmer clothing because winter's coming. So um, depending on what date you take for when Paul was captured, it's either uh, in the fall of 66 or fall of 67 AD. And uh, it's in a time where Paul is in a second imprisonment. Okay, this is not his first, this is his second, and this is the one that is eventually going to take his life. Uh, he is going to die as a result of this. You have your reader of this. Okay, it's Timothy. He would have been the initial reader, and then it would have gotten out amongst the churches uh, afterwards, but he would have been the initial person to receive this. And the previous letter we looked at, it was really a challenge for Timothy. Here's how you run the church, but it was really a challenge personally for Timothy not to be afraid because of your youth. Now, that term youth uh, in 1 Timothy 4.12 is let no man despise thy youth. That is a very broad term because it can categorize anybody 40 years and under. Uh, so, you know, it's not like Timothy is a 16-year-old and he's running a church and that type of thing. That's not what's going on here. Uh, but uh, in the thinking of that generation, somebody had to be old in order to be wise, in order to lead things. They, they had to have experience and time uh, to be able to lead things. And so, you know, there's an expected maturity level that's there, but you can have that amongst young men. So that was the last letter. But in this letter, you have this, that now Paul was writing uh, at a time when the church was being threatened by annihilation. Okay, you have somebody who's out to destroy them, and they have the backing of the Roman Empire behind them. What Paul wants uh, Timothy to do is to serve well even when the world pressed in on all sides. And uh, it's been a, a while since I've done different things in this book. I've never preached through it before, so it was good for me on a personal level to go through this. And I think we forget the pressure that is here on Timothy. 
Okay, if you, if you think in the setting of what's going on here, uh, more than likely is Paul uh, is talking here um, when it talks about verse 4 of 2 Timothy 1, where it talks about greatly desiring uh, to see you, being mindful of thy tears. Some have suggested the fact that Timothy was there when Paul was arrested. Uh, Timothy being Paul's son in the faith, the one who came to know Jesus Christ as a result of his preaching and teaching. The shock of someone you know being arrested by a government that has called for the extermination and the, the, the annihilation of the religion you're part of, and here's the chief figure, one who's had a very important role in your life, and he's been hauled off to Rome. And it's not only that, when this goes out, that Christianity is a religion that is now illegal, the Apostle Paul in the fourth uh, chapter of this letter is going to declare that all the people in Asia have fled. Now, I think that's hyperbole because he's writing to Timothy and he's talking about Onesephorus and some others, but it seems like people that once claimed the name of Christ have suddenly disappeared have fled, or just stopped being a Christian, or stopped declaring that they know Christ. And so for Timothy, this is a reality as being a preacher in the major town of Ephesus, where it seems like people who are suddenly now realizing this is not just merely a religion that's a new thing, and perhaps you get some local persecution. Anywhere I go, I could be summoned before the government, and eventually executed uh, for my faith in Jesus Christ, that would have impact on you. I mean, we haven't faced that in our country, but we could very well with some of the things that you see that people are willing to pass and willing to declare, uh, and if they ever get into power, you can just see what's going to happen as far as laws. And so, you know, I'm not predicting anything uh, here that's unusual, but the fact is, is what happens uh, in a situation like that is that you're going to be faced with the fact of, do I shut up? Do I just become silent? Do I run and hide? Or do I just kind of break because I realize, wait a second, following Christ doesn't give me what I expected in life. Uh, I'm giving that up. Because it would be better to be somewhere else. That's the kind of pressure that Timothy's under. It doesn't seem like Timothy's one who's about to run and break, but he's having to preach and teach to people who are in that category or have perhaps already said, you know what, I'm done with this because it could end my life here. So that's the kind of pressure that you're facing. A man who already knows I'm going to be executed, he's declaring in the letter, uh, I have finished my course. I know I'm about done here. It's just a matter of time uh, as it goes to the courts. I will eventually be executed. He knows that. And I don't think we have, you know, you, you read this letter with that kind of pressure and you're thinking, you kind of go, okay, Paul is writing something that we ought to pay attention to because it is something that he's writing and going, this is the most important thing I can say in this time of pressure, time of difficulty, panic in some circles. So there is uh, an importance as you read this uh, as the reader and understanding the times that it's being written in. Purposes, you just kind of go through and you see three things that Paul seems to be trying to do in the letter. 
Uh, first of all, it seems that he's trying to encourage uh, to stand against uh, the outside pressures and against false teachers from within. You see a lot of this just standing and continuing to stand and, and being upon a sound foundation and the like. You'll see that over and over again. And also this uh, idea of combating false teachers. This is going to be in there. Secondly, as you look at this, you'll find that there is a summons that's given for Timothy to come to Paul. You get to this in chapter 4, and uh, Paul is saying, okay, can you come bring some, uh, some of the scrolls? Okay, it says the books, but the scrolls, the Old Testament uh, scriptures, can you bring some of those that I have, uh, bring a cloak, bring those things, and come uh, to see me here in Rome? And so there's kind of a summons that goes on, so this is challenge. Continue to live the Christian faith, but when you got the time, please come visit me uh, here at Rome. And third is a testimony that was given by Paul about his ministry. Okay, he's going to several times use himself as an example uh, as he's looking back on his life and seeing what's there and saying, okay, here's the testimony of when I faced pressure situations and what I am standing on right now. I'm giving you a testimony how to do this, that it's possible. And he uses his life as a testimony uh, for this. Paul looked forward to death after years of serving Christ. I mean, he's not simply going, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm done here you know, and uh, woe is me. He's going, okay, well, uh, I'm going to be with God in glory. He's going to take care of me right up into that point. You sometimes forget that this is the Apostle Paul's attitude throughout his ministry. In Philippians chapter uh, 1, he describes the fact that uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, but you read the discussion after that, and what he's talking about, he's going, you know, it's needful for me to stay here. The Lord still got me here for a reason, but I'd much rather be with the Lord. That's his attitude. And so he's not uh, quaking at the fact that his life may actually be taken. You see at the end there, the bottom of the page, if you were to theme what this letter is about, it's just simply be faithful in all things until the end. Faithful in all things right up until the end. So as you look at the next page and you have this exhortations, you have the exhortations to faithfulness that Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy, as we said, seemed to have been shaken by the arrest of Paul. Paul reminded Timothy of the security of his faith that he had received from his family before him. Fear was not given by God, but he gives soundness. Okay? Um... Verse 3, just this, this prayer that Paul typically starts letters with, and he tells people what he's praying for, specifically for them. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with a pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind." Simply says this, you, you've had something that you can go and look back and look at your grandmother, 
your mother. I understand somewhere in that time frame, they went from an Old Testament understanding of the scriptures, and when Christ was presented, there was a New Testament. But he said, listen, you've known this and seen the stability of your mother and your grandmother in the faith, and you've seen this type of thing, and you've had this whole time where you've had this whole life to observe what it is to live according to what God says and know him, And so you should understand this, that God doesn't give out the spirit of fear. For people who know God, there's a confidence. And the way he describes it is that famous passage that we read was this, that he doesn't give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. He gives us the ability to be selfless, not selfish. And that's the idea of love there. Uh, Love is selfless. And in times like this, when you see panic situations happen, what happens to people? They tend to be very selfish. I always wondered what would happen in the United States if we really did have all the grocery stores suddenly shut down. We had a little bit of that vision when COVID happened and you were not finding things on the shelf. But what would happen uh, to the majority of the population uh, if suddenly there are no groceries? And it's going to be every man for him, what? Every man for himself. And that's why it includes words like this idea that he gives us love and he gives us this sound mind uh, that we have. And Paul, as a result of this, says, okay, you need to stand in the face of opposition. Paul commanded Timothy or called him to stand in the face of opposition. Paul was an example of one who was called to serve Jesus Christ even through difficult times. He was unmoved by opposition because he knew who he had believed in. Okay, here's, here's the passage that we sang about here uh, just uh, a few minutes ago. He talks about verse 8, Be not ashamed, therefore, the testimony of the Lord, nor me, of his, nor me his prisoner. And he goes on, verse 11, whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. I took up a life where I was going to suffer. He could have been a Pharisee and lived in luxury in Jerusalem, but he went to Christ and that changed his life. But he says this in verse 12, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You say, what has he committed? His whole life. God's going to take care of him until the day the Lord calls him home. And so he uses himself as an example. He says, listen, I'm one who's been unmoved by this. For you, Timothy, for you to have the confidence that I have, verse 13, hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which is committed unto thee by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. You say, what good thing? The word. I mean, Timothy's a preacher, and what you're going to find throughout here is a call back to looking at sound doctrine and sound the, 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 the word, and for him to find uh, his comfort in this. And he says, listen, you need to find your confidence by going back and seeing what God says about himself and the things that are taught there, and you don't give those things up. As the Old Testament calls it, it's a sure foundation. It's a solid foundation of what you have in the word. And so, Timothy, if you're thinking about being shaken, go back to the things that you have heard. Now, as we've mentioned, 
Many people where Timothy ministered sadly had retreated from the faith in the face of persecution. Okay, this is why verse 15 is there. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy into the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain, but when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. He goes, you're in Asia right now, and you're seeing this, just a wholesale sellout of everyone that knows Christ. They're giving it up, and you're experiencing this. But he goes, not everybody is. Uh, There's the household of uh, Onesiphorus, his family, and when he was in Rome, it wasn't that he goes, oh, Paul's in prison over there. I don't want to go over and talk to him because, you know what, I might be identified as a believer in Jesus Christ. No, he goes and finds Paul in Rome and goes, okay, what can I do for you? How can I help you out? What am I going to bring in? Remember, prisoners had to pay for their imprisonment. Kind of a weird system. You're in prison, so how are they going to pay for it? Well, uh, they figured you have earned the opportunity to be there, so you ought to figure out how you're going to take care of yourself in there. And that's how prisons worked for many generations. Uh, And so uh, prisoners were on the good graces of other individuals. In this case, Onesephorus comes along and goes, here, what can I do for you? So it's not that everybody has run, but Paul's saying, listen, you have to have something to stand on as you see everyone else breaking, falling back, running. Uh, You need something. You need to be sound on the word. And realize this, you're not the only one, even though it seems like people are running. So the exhortations, as you see there in the first chapter, to faithfulness, be faithful. So you go, what's the second chapter on? Well, continue in faithfulness, okay? Uh, You have been faithful to this point, but I want you to continue in faithfulness. And what you see, and uh, you have this note there, this chapter contains command after command for Timothy to follow. Along with this, Paul gave illustrations of what faithfulness was like. Okay, and you can go through and uh, sometime just mark through in this chapter how many times he gives commands. You know, you do these things, shun these things, follow after these things. In this chapter, uh, there's a lot of that. But you have in this first verse, this, the, these first few verses, uh, one passage that's probably familiar. So realize that it's in the context of standing for the, the, the message of Jesus Christ, standing firmly on this. But verse 1 says this, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. If a man also strive for the masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker, must first, uh, be first partaker of the fruits. Paul says in that uh, paragraph there that we just read that the ministry need of the gospel needs to be passed on to the next generation. I mean, you've got at least four different groups as you look at verse number two there, four different groups of individuals that have had the gospel and are passing it down the line. 
I mean, Paul talks about this, the things that thou hast heard of me. So you've got Paul. And then Timothy, who's heard these things, is to commit them to faithful men. So you have faithful men who shall then eventually be able to do what? Teach others also. The thing that you have as far as the Word of God, you can teach and help others understand this, and they can take this to the next generation and the next generation, and it gives them something to stand on. So the most important thing you can do is to teach this. And don't give up, and he gives the illustration of a soldier, first of all, who faced the difficulty of warfare, I mean, this is a one who goes, okay, so why should he continue to look to hand out the Word of God even though it is something that is uh, going to hurt him and perhaps end his life? And it's this, because back in those days, soldiers fought not for country. They typically fought for their general. You know, they took pride in who their leader was typically, and they wanted to please him. That's how soldiers worked in the Roman army. Or uh, you have the, the second illustration there. Here's a person who strives to the masteries. You go, what's that? We're talking about uh, what we would call Olympic competition, athletic competition. And here you've got these people who are racing. You say, what do they have to do in that race? They have to stay within the lines. They go outside those lines. They aren't going to achieve what they need to. And the Apostle Paul is just simply saying, don't go outside the lines. Or, uh, as you find the illustration here of the husbandman, we would use the term today, farmer. Okay? The farmer is the one who, when he's, before he sends out that crop, he's going to what? Check it out himself. Partake in it first. And so for Timothy, you're going to give out the word, you be tasting it before you hand it out. You be feeding on it before you give it out, much like a farmer would. And so you have this, this challenge. Continue in the faithfulness. Uh, don't give it up and, and stay within the lines. Don't go outside those lines. In verse 11, Paul reminded Timothy of some of the truths that c- can sustain him in difficulty. These seem to be things that the Apostle Paul had running through his mind. Look at verse 11. We go back to verse 10. Verse 9. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying. Okay, here's, here's something for you. It's, it's something you can stand on. It's faithful. It's not going to be uh, untrustworthy. Here's what you say, or believe. Verse 11, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Okay, that's the first part of this. If I die, what's the worst thing that happens to me? Just think about what it says in Philippians chapter 2. It's gain. I'm with him. Or uh, verse 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If you're suffering for the testimony of Christ, there will come a day where you will reign with Christ. Okay, you'll rule with Christ uh, as we get into the, the kingdom time uh, ahead. Uh, there will be that case where we'll have responsibilities. Or verse 12, if we deny him, he will also deny us. You know, if you decide to deny Christ, who else can you depend on? No one. No one's going to get you salvation. No one's going to get you to where you need to be at. There's no other person that can take care of you. 
or verse 13, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. You want to know someone who's faithful? It's the one to whom I have given my life to. God is faithful. And even when we waver, he's still faithful. He doesn't leave. He doesn't abandon. And so for Paul, he challenges Timothy with this statement. And Timothy was not to waste time on, as you have in the notes there, waste time on useless and temporary items. It seems like it keeps coming up in the church here, but look at verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, uh, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. He's going, you need to know your word, you need to be a person who's diligent in your study of the word of God, and when it comes to actually teaching people, it seems like you still have people in this church that are going, hey, let's talk about these genealogies and make up stories that aren't there. Let's talk about fables. And this seems to be what's going on in the church. And it's kind of interesting to people go, oh, wow, that's kind of neat. I didn't know that, uh, even though it was made up. And there's people that are listening to this, and as we'll find in chapter 4, these people have itching ears. They're, they want a good story. They want to be entertained. They really don't want sound doctrine. And, and what Paul says, you're wasting your time, Timothy, if you delve into that, delve into the things that you know are in the Word, and you hold to them, and you hold them out for people to see. Not only was Timothy's teaching to be sound, but you get this at the end of the chapter there that the life of Timothy, not only his words, verse 24, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle in all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that impose themselves. You know, these type of things that, okay, even your life needs to match up to your words. Okay, sometimes, you know, you have a person who knows a lot of stuff and then just, you know, otherwise doesn't really know anything, doesn't live it out. So it is for Timothy. Hey, you may know these things. Live them for people to see. So you get to that and you go, okay, so Paul's telling him to continue in faithfulness. He's already doing this, but just continue and and do this. So what does chapter 3 tell us? Well, it's this. There's going to be opposition to faithfulness. You have this statement right at the beginning of uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Okay? In my Bible, I did not transfer my notes over to the new one yet, but I have a note off to the side, and I ought to know which one it is, but um, where it's at. But this word perilous is only used one other occasion in the Scripture, and it's used to describe uh, the maniac Gadara who's able to rip chains off himself, and he's uncontrollable by anyone, and he howls in the middle of the night. I mean, this is the type of individual that he is. He's completely uncontrolled, and that's the term used right here. Like a demonic wild man. That's what our times are like. And you see then the listing of what it's going to be like. And it's just this list where you look at it and you're going, okay, this is like our society. 
For men shall be lovers of their own selves. You can stop right there. Now, people are narcissists, and they're becoming more of narcissists, and they have a platform to be narcissists. Never in an age were you able to proclaim how great you are to lots of people, and if they don't pay attention, they still assault you with how great they are. I mean, we could stop right there and go, okay, we're done. The list is, you know, it's, it's obvious we're in last times. But you go on, you see some of these things. Covetous, boaster, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, <laughs> unthankful, yeah, okay, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that do good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, you go, what's going on? There's a lot of churches that would claim to be religious, but there's nothing, nothing of the power of God behind it because they're making up stuff. They're usually running on all sorts of uh, incredible programs to draw people, but not going to work. I mean, these people, verse 7, are ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Would you say that about our generation? If we ever had access to knowledge, this is the generation that has access to it. You know, there are times where I will be watching something or reading something, and I can just merely pull out my phone and go, oh, that's where that's at. Oh, that's what that word means. I've got it right at my hand. You know, a lot of people that have that and that power, but they're not coming to a knowledge of the truth. But verse 9 says this, They shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as was theirs also. Basically, these teachers that are doing this, there's going to be a point where God's going to stop them. What you see in the notes is just simply this. The opposition that was present during this time was not a surprise. It's not that God's going, wow. And what we see going on in our age, God's not sitting there going, this is, this is really incredible. How did this happen? No, he's already warning us. And think about when Paul was writing this, that was 2,000 years ago. And things were bad in the Roman and Greek Empire. But we've progressively, in our enlightened age, gotten much worse. Paul taught that things in the world and the church would get worse and worse. However, Paul did not see this as a bad thing. Okay? Not that he's you know, saying it's okay that these things are happening. What he recognizes this is this, is that light shines more clearly in darkness. Verse 9 or verse 10, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions and afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. He simply says this, okay, you're living godly, you're going to be persecuted. But that's okay, because then those things in my life are going to be what? Examined. Looked at. Suddenly it's magnified what I'm like when it comes to those pressure situations. So the Apostle Paul is not necessarily going, you know, this is a horrible thing. He's just kind of going, okay, this type of thing happens, and it's an opportunity for the gospel to have impact. 
I do think, as he, he went through there and intentionally used this statement of bad things happening in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. You know why? This is where Timothy grew up. You remember the story in one of those towns? If I remember correctly, it's the town that Timothy's in, if I remember my geography correctly, uh, where the Apostle Paul was stoned, left for dead, in fact, probably was, and gets back up and walks into town the next day. I mean, Paul died. Timothy was around for this. He had seen this, so he knew what kind of persecution went on, but he also knew those type of things were the very things that had impact on him. So Paul goes, it's not all bad that these things happen. It's at this point where the Apostle Paul goes back and says, okay, let's talk about the thing that's most important for you. Okay, what's the most important thing in times like this for you to stand on? And this idea of marked by faithfulness, you're going to be faithful to something. Look at verse number 14. Evil men are going to get worse and worse, but, okay, contrast. They're going to be moving forward, but what you're going to do, you continue in the things which thou hast learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. And I, I like to put this out here and just understand what it means by perfect. Okay? The idea of perfect here is the idea of mature, but you read that other, in the next phrase, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You've got everything, all, all the equipment you need in the Scripture to make it in the wilderness of this life. It's like a person who goes out camping and they've got everything you need. With the Scripture, you've got everything to make it. You're thoroughly equipped. You're thoroughly furnished for everything that goes on in this life. You've got answers. Uh, as the notes say what Paul is declaring here is that it made Timothy wise in his salvation and that you're sanctified through the Word of God too. It changes you because the Word of God is good for teaching in righteousness. It's good for correction in righteousness. Okay, what do you mean by or reproof in righteousness? You go, what's that? Uh, it convinces you you're wrong. <laughs> That's what it does. You're on the wrong path. Get run back on the right path. Uh, it's able to say, well, if I'm on the wrong path, how do I correct it? Well, the Scripture's able to correct when we're in the wrong. And then it continuously tells us the same thing over and over again. That word instruction is the word for child training. It keeps training us over and over again. How does a kid learn things? It's because they get taught it over and over and over again. So it is for us. We're just big children. And the scriptures teach us over and over and over and over again. And so this, given by inspiration of God, okay, it's God-breathed. I mean, if you want something that gives life, think about this. God breathed into the man the breath of life. You want something that gives life and maintains life. Here you got something, the Word of God. Okay, it's breathed out by God. Uh, it was a standard to live out. Now, the Word gave a guide about what would stand at the day of judgment. The Apostle Paul is making this statement now, verse 1. 
okay? I've done everything else. Now, I'm going to say, this is what you must do. (laughs) If you haven't gotten it yet, I'm going to now say, remember, you're going to have to stand before God. Verse 1, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, the living, and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. I mean, here's what you do you take the word and you tell people about it, and you keep doing this, and this is your job until the Lord comes back. And understand, you're going to have people who don't want to hear it. Verse number three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. There are going to be people that are going to go, we don't want to hear what you have to say. It's not nice. You call people sinners. No, that's not nice. We'd rather hear somebody who says, you're doing okay. And sadly, they can find churches that tell them they're okay in a lot of the things that they do. But that doesn't change what Paul's, or Paul's going to challenge Timothy with, verse 5. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but all them that love his appearing." I mean, he simply says this, you keep doing this, because my time's done. And that's what he's saying there. It's not just merely giving us a picture, okay, you know, I finished my course and all of this and whatever. It's a challenge to Timothy. I'm done now. Someone else needs to do this work. Carry it on uh, and do this. And you know what? I'm, I'm looking for that crown of righteousness and one day the Lord will give it to you if you do the same thing. You're faithful in ministry, so do so. And so that's kind of where you could close the letter off is right at that point. Because what we have here at the end uh, of this is just simply the end of faithfulness. That's the way I described it. I didn't know what else to, to put there to get it to go along with the faithfulness theme. But it's basically simply uh, details where Paul's going to try and take care of some things. But he's still talking about being faithful. Okay? Look at how he starts this. Verse 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. You know, could you get here quickly? Verse 10, for Demas has forsaken me, loving this present world. Okay, you got one person right there who's already been unfaithful. Demas, not because of the pressure, but he looks at the world around him and goes, I'd rather have that than following after God. You have others that are sent, and it seems like Cretan uh, to Galatia, Titus to Dematia, only Luke is with me. Verse 12, Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. It's not saying that all people have abandoned Paul because they are afraid. Some of them have been sent out on missions by the Apostle Paul to go different places, but Demas is just an example of one who's unfaithful. But I want you to look at another statement here. Verse 11, Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable me for ministry. That's not a minor statement there. 
That's a huge statement on the Apostle Paul's part. You know why? Because when you get to Acts chapter 15, at the end of that chapter, he and Barnabas separate over Mark, John Mark. John Mark had been one who, some reason, when they got to Antioch and Pisidia, that he just kind of leaves and goes back to Jerusalem. Uh, whether he was wanting to go back to mom who was in Jerusalem, or he was afraid of things that were going on, or it, was, it wasn't what he expected, he went back to Jerusalem. And Paul felt that that was abandonment. And so when they go on their second missionary journey, and Barnabas, who was the nephew or the uncle of uh, John Mark, um, was going to go out. He said, well, let's take John Mark with us. He's there in Jerusalem. And Paul goes, I am not taking him. I will not take him with me. He's been unfaithful. He's been one who has given up and uh, that I don't want to take him with me. And you have this point where Barnabas and Paul separate out and go different directions because he's deeming John Mark had been unfaithful. You know what Barnabas did? He took John Mark with him. And then what you find out is that John Mark is also with Peter. And now at the end of Paul's life, he's saying, uh, bring Mark with you. He's profitable. He's faithful. You say, did Paul misjudge him? Do we sometimes get misjudged? <laughs> We're not doing perfectly well when someone goes, oh, that's, that, that's never, that person's never going to amount to anything. And then somebody else steps in and comes in and used by the Lord and brings a person along and you just kind of go, wow, this is incredible. I never imagined that happening. Um, that's quite the statement for the Apostle Paul to, to bring up John Mark. But you have these, some that have quit, some that are going away. Timothy was to bring John Mark, one who seemed to be unfaithful at one time but had proven himself faithful in ministry. Paul expected more time because he asked Timothy to bring things with him. Paul thought he was going to die immediately. He wouldn't be going, hey, could you bring a coat? You know, if they're going to execute you, that's a you know, side matter. But uh, he's looking for a coat, some scrolls, uh, as it says in um, some scrolls. Verse number 13, it says the books, especially the parchments which seem to be some writings of commentaries that he's got. But in the end, you see him simply say this, he trusted in God to keep him right into glory. Look at the, the statement in verse number 17, or verse number 16, where he's talking about his first trial here before Caesar. He says this, at my first answer, my first defense, no man stood with me, all men forsook me. I pray God that it may be not laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, that all the Gentiles might hear. I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me out of every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He goes, Went to a trial, no one was there. He goes, no one would ever known, but I knew the Lord, and the Lord sustained me. Right through it. And I was able to make it known to the Gentiles what the gospel was. Paul got to do some preaching at his defense. And he said, I'll be taken care of until I walk into glory. I'll be fine. 
He's, he's right up into the end of this letter saying, I've been faithful, I'm going to be faithfully end, and it's not because of who I am, it's because of the word that I stand on and the God who's behind that. It has given me the, the, the sustaining and the sure foundation to be able to do ministry. You, Timothy, you stand on it, and then you declare this to everyone else that's around you, and you give this to faithful men for them to stand on and for them to be able to then get it to another generation and so it's a, a letter that when you begin to understand the dangers and what's going on here, you realize this is a very passionate letter. A man who knows his work's done, but he's just simply saying to others, you can do the same. It doesn't matter what the pressure is. You can be faithful until the end. And it's not because of who you are. It's because you've got a sure foundation to stand on. So stand on it and declare it. For another generation to come. So it's really a call to faithfulness. And so it's a good reminder as we think about what may be happening in years to come. Five, 10, 15 years down the line here, we may very well be in this type of category. So what are we going to do? Are we going to give up on the Lord or are we going to stand faithful on what we've had from before we, some of us families have been known Christ and you've grown up in a Christian family and you've heard the word of God it's a sure foundation. It's been proven time and time again. Lord, we thank you for your word, the challenge, reminder. There are people in this world that are in these kind of conditions. We pray for them, brothers and sisters in Iran, North Korea, places like that where having a scripture verse could bring about imprisonment and death but you've got faithful servants there that have found your word and who you are to be something to stand on. We pray that you would give them boldness in the face of exceedingly perilous times where they're at. And Lord, we may be faced the same thing. Give us a boldness to stand, to not uh, run, not to, to, to be frightened, but realize you've given us something very important for another generation to hear and another group of people to hear. May we be faithful right up until the end when you call us home and we stand before you in glory. So we thank you for this encouragement from your word. May we stand faithful until the end. In this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.